Okay. That's me. Okay, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Ella Buanya. I'm currently a student at Princeton University. Um, and I am from Nairobi, Kenya. And I'm joined by... Holy Keza from Rwanda. Uh, I currently go at Ohio State University and I'm in my last year. Hey. And today we're going to be discussing how the concept of double consciousness in the voices, the souls of black folk um, translates to the experiences of both Rwandan and Kenyan women. So, yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, double consciousness itself? Do you have any thoughts on, like, how African women specifically um, experience double consciousness in their own countries? I feel like um, we have so many layers of it, first of all, despite being women, right? Mm -hmm. By being African women, by being women of certain, you know, like I know in Kenya, being a certain tribe, for mm -hmm. example, it, there is always like this double consciousness and there's levels to it depending on where you stand. So as a woman, you have a sort of double consciousness uh, when it comes to how men perceive you. And then as an African woman, you have it again when, you know, like how foreigners perceive you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, def definitely. I feel like for us, there's a lot of it and we definitely have a lot of experience with it. So yeah. I definitely agree. And just like talking about like how men see you, I think definitely as a Kenyan woman, I mean, I've always lived my life you know, wondering how the men around me are perceiving the things that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like, I think a common example that a lot of people even around the world can relate to is, like, how you're sitting or, like, what you're wearing. Like, uh, you pick out your outfits based on, like, what a man is going to, t like, react. So, you, you yeah. don't want to wear something that's too suggestive or something, again, in my culture, like, that's not going to get you married, you know, as a Luya woman or, like, you just always, you don't want to, like, overpower what the man is doing. So, it's always, like, living your life but thinking about how the man is how the man is going to react to the things that you're doing which i is it's just something that i again as i was going through Dubois's work i was like oh my gosh yeah. this is something i've always lived with and it's just really interesting absolutely and you know what's funny is because like i tend to think of i i like to think of myself as a very defiant person or like i like to, to defy things if the system is going right i feel the need to go left you know and even that, though, even through that, so for example, like the thing you were saying about, you know, like you don't want to offend men by the way you sit or like how you dress. For me, I will go out of my way to dress in that offensive way, mm -hmm. but it is still stemming from this double, like I want to give a message to the men. I feel like a man can just dress however, right? And not think twice about, oh my God what's what's going to happen or whatever do i need to make a statement with this but for me because i have this double consciousness and i'm aware of how men see me mm -hmm. and i want to make sure they know where i stand mm -hmm. i still i'm going through that even when i'm defying this view they have of me so i feel like that's quite interesting mm -hmm. but what do you think about that i love that actually and i think because i was raised primarily by women so I've never really, like, the, I don't know, the urge to appeal to male audiences was never anything that I think was, like, in, heavily instilled in me. It was definitely prevalent in my society, and, you know, sometimes, depending on who you're with, you had to conform. But I never really, like, it was not something that every day was, like, hit into my head, because there was never any men around me yeah. to, like, 
that I had to please. And I went to an all-girls school as well growing up to some, oh, for wow. some extent. So it was just women, 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 women. But um, I definitely think that when I was exposed to men, I did do the same thing, like wearing things that I knew maybe like, like the older generations may be like, oh my gosh, what are you wearing? Like there's men around. Why can't you see this? Only because I could wear that around the women. So I didn't feel the need to change myself because there was an African man present in my surroundings. Like you were in my space. I'm not in your space, you yeah. know? And that's how I viewed it. So I definitely can relate to what you're saying over there. Mm-hmm. And I actually have an, an interesting question because both of us are computer science majors. Yeah. And I want you to see like, what's your experience being you know, a Rwandan woman in computer science, like how is that experience for you? Um, and how does the double consciousness look like for a Rwandan woman in tech in America? So I specifically remember my first year, um, I got into this, you know, my first computer science class and I got put into a group. It was um, two guys. Uh, one of them was an American white guy. The other one I think was like, American Indian and then one Chinese uh, girl and me and I remember being so aware of me being a woman first you know because I had heard the stereotypes and to be fair like I'm not sure they were like being like they weren't I'm not sure how of how they viewed me because Mm -hmm. the thing about it is at the end of the day you think about how they view you but you're not sure if this person is actually thinking about you or not Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But in your mind, you're so fixated. Like, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether they are or not. So in my class, I was really paying attention to the, this guy. He was just a typical, I think I'm smart. You know, like my ideas are better. Good. And I was so convinced that he was only pushing back because I was a black woman. Mm-hmm. And I had my locks, like I had these thick locks. And I was like, this is why he's not listening to mm-hmm. me. And my ideas would work whatever he was doing would fail and would have to go with what I was I had suggested before and that was ignored you right. know, in the conversation. And that really I don't know, it felt I was very aware of it. And even to this day, I'm not sure if was it of a reaction or was it actually me seeing what it would be like to be a black woman in computer science, you know. But uh yeah, that that thing has always been there. That awareness of like, oh I'm a black woman. In mm-hmm. computer science with locks, you know, what are these people thinking? Mm-hmm. If I fail, it's like, oh my god, I'm failing, and I'm a black woman in computer science. So what what is it? What what message is this giving to my professor? Is 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 it going to show him? Oh my god, you know the stereotypes are true. Right. Like, and I have this heavy burden that I feel like many students didn't have to carry, and I'm not accusing my professors of being like you know, weird about it, but mm-hmm. that's how I felt in my mind, and I had to, you know, it, it ran through my mind, but what, how, what, what has been your experience with this? I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing that, it's like, that's, that's a really intense experience, and I think a lot of maybe other African women can relate to, like, the things you're saying, you know, saying, um, giving suggestions and then being overlooked because you are, you know, black and you are exhibiting your blackness. You're not like having straight hair or anything. You're like in your locks and everything. Yeah. So I really think that that's definitely something that I think a lot of like black women, especially black women in tech may be able to relate to. Mm-hmm. But for me, I mean, I, I noticed in my first computer science class that I ever did. I walked into the room and I was the only, I think we're only two black girls there. Mm. One of only two black girls there. Everyone else was a <laughs> yeah. white man. Yeah. It was 
extremely intimidating and you almost are invisible i mean you're the only two black people so you have that like the blackness is you're unique in the sense of your blackness and your presence of being the only two black people there yeah. but you're really invisible because your blackness almost is so prevalent it makes you trend as you invisible so that like no one notices that you're contributing to conversations or mm-hmm. no one notices that what you as you said like what you're contributing to like maybe code is valuable like no one sees that because the, they're just like this blackness this veil again that the boys describes like you have this veil of blackness that kind of like prevents anyone from thinking what you're saying is of any credit or like can contribute meaningfully towards like a program or a piece of code or something yeah so i definitely have experienced that like just shrinking or vanishing um and having to work extra hard for people to like value the inputs that i'm putting in yeah. so that's my experience uh so far i've done group projects where the two white men that i was working with or the young st- white students i was working with uh both men of course took the lead and i was just like there in the background yeah. and i was doing the same amount of work if not more coming up with solutions as you said that they couldn't see and yet like they would never credit me for that until maybe i produced something that they couldn't think of and they're like oh that's actually a pretty good idea mm. you should have said this earlier and i was like man i've been trying yeah but uh yeah that's what i think um yeah that's literally that's the experience of being black in tech in my ex- like being especially being Kenyan or like being African I already have this accent yeah. which is kind of like a barrier I think to conversations or like it a deterrent almost to like my intelligence or like my ability to handle the things that I'm like coding or whatever that I'm programming so yeah do you feel the same way like maybe your africanness particularly not even your blackness do you feel like it affects the way that especially in america and in yeah. the tech world and even just generally you feel like it's something that affects you absolutely yeah. and i i remember like initially like okay so things like i want to say specifically this thing like a variable mm-hmm. i knew what a variable was in my mind i used it all the time mm-hmm. i could code anything and i knew what a variable was i knew what a, a function was i knew mm-hmm. like all these things i knew but the names I just couldn't keep straight in my mind because it was the first time in my life I had ever heard the word variable. Mm-hmm. What is a variable? I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. I was coding and I was using it every single mm-hmm. time, but I couldn't keep it straight. Mm-hmm. So in class, when I'm trying to ask questions and I'm, I don't remember the names of these things, mm-hmm. and I feel like, because like obviously people are speaking English and there is a place in their mind that a variable is mm-hmm. like there is something because if i say amata in my mm-hmm. mind i can picture milk i can picture i know where it's stored mm-hmm. i know like amata means something in my language mm-hmm. and it's if somebody was co- to call it something in mm-hmm. you know computer science mm-hmm. i would associate it with you know milk and be, maybe they named it this way because of this and this and that and variables just foreign i didn't know what it looked like where do you store it what what picture goes with it and even to this day, if it's taken out of the computer science project, I don't know. I, I mean, con- um, out of the computer science concept, mm-hmm. I don't know what a variable is, mm-hmm. you know? So things like that. I feel like that barrier of this English mm-hmm. universe they lived in from just being English-speaking people mm-hmm. from birth versus what I had uh was very different and in computer science you learn a lot of new words mm-hmm. so if you never like encountered them before that could be a barrier and so sometimes you ask questions and your teacher's like what mm-hmm. and then you feel stupid and you're like oh never mind but no it's not never mind right. i actually do have a question but yeah what do you think 
that's let me actually process that for a second um i definitely see that as well because i feel like in the same way that you relate like you you understand what a word is and you can see it in your like the language and like the up, like the, the the like the rules of the culture with which you've been brought up with but you can really translate that to like american english or to like like you know whatever is going like the the, the like the english or the language that people use right now yeah. i definitely see the same thing happened with me and actually if you look through my computer science notes mm. a lot of the margins is just in swahili yeah like it's just, it's just <laughs> i did it in swahili just yeah. like oh this reminds me of this and this is a kenyan thing so it's just a bunch of like swahili dialect and it makes it easier and more fun to me for me to go through and i like i'm able to grasp it better because i'm able to like attach my roots and my heritage to it mm. and i think it also shows the adaptability of culture especially like african culture because i feel like sometimes people try to like box it and put it in like a little space that only africanness can exist here it can't exist here mm. but like by merging like your african heritage with like tech mm. like you're able to show that african culture can coexist as both its like africanness and also african afrofuturism or like in a, an afro tech sphere so i don't know yeah. if that even thought process made it makes sense, sense cuz mm-hmm. i also do the same mm-hmm. and for me like to actually sometimes i will be studying for things mm-hmm. and i understand them but then i will take uh voice notes mm-hmm. in kinyarwanda mm-hmm. and i just pretend i'm explaining this to like a random kid right. who doesn't know english and mm-hmm. I'm like you know like and and so like that helps me understand it even better mm-hmm. than i actually did before whenever i do that i understand these concepts like really well right. versus like just repeating them mm-hmm. or like taking notes in english mm-hmm. so that that's something but mm-hmm. anyway back to the topic of like uh double consciousness mm-hmm. so i wanted to ask you like in kenya mm-hmm. specifically about the tribes thing mm-hmm. do you ever feel like the double consciousness with them or are you kind of like in harmony with you know like the tribes in mm-hmm. kenya so much so that you don't care cuz like i remember when we went out mm-hmm. one day and we met a kenyan lady mm-hmm. and she was like oh my god you're kenyan mm-hmm. and the first thing she asked you was like what tribe are mm-hmm. you and i just wondered like before you answered that question mm-hmm. were you like okay if i say luya mm-hmm. cuz you're luya right mm-hmm. what is she going to think or did that not cross your mind or how does that work for you in kenya is there such a thing that's such an interesting question and i think it really depends on the it really depends on first of all who's asking you mm-hmm. and like what is going on within the country when people are asking you this for example i'll give you an example um during like a really grim time in my country like we had this post election violence where you know it was one tribe against another tribe it was a terrible time they were it was a, like massacres and everything because of like this tribal thing so if i was in the position like if i was there in 2007 and someone asked me what tribe are you i would have to like think about what i'm going to say and how it would perceive like how the person how the person who is asking the question would perceive me once i answer that question because mm. it would like literally be a matter of like life and death at that point yeah so that's one way i'd see double consciousness like acting especially in that time you know if i say this how is this person going to take that and how is it going to affect the next few minutes of my interaction with them mm. um Nowadays, I mean, again, it depends on where I am. If I'm like for example getting married to someone in a different tribe, um it would I would have to think about how this per- other person is going to how this other person's family is going to perceive me given the stereotypes surrounding my tribe. Okay. And that's not every time but it's in a lot of tribes, like especially intertribal marriages is really it's really an issue. So, you have to like approach things with how will this person from this culture see 
me or this tribe see me as a person like if i do this will they think it's like me doing this because it's my culture or like my tribe will they take this as an attack on theirs i don't know so it depends on that but like in social situations when people ask it really i don't think i'd have much experience with double consciousness in that way because like it's usually just a random conversation and just like relaxing exactly Sound yeah. up something random doesn't really mean much okay so that's yeah that's what i'd say so would you say okay so from what du bois mm-hmm. saying about double consciousness mm-hmm. do you think obviously like during 2007 like you described if there was like violence in mm-hmm. Kenya, like across the tribes mm-hmm. um you could have felt that way mm-hmm. but then would you call it double consciousness if it's something that is like temporary hmm so for like let's say people who are actually grown because we were kids mm-hmm. right but like people were like in their 20s or like 30s right who held that during mm-hmm. that time but then the times got better mm-hmm. and then suddenly they don't have to think about it anymore mm-hmm. and it's a double consciousness in the same way that uh black americans mm-hmm. and said have to be aware of double consciousness mm-hmm. what do you think about that oh my gosh that's such an interesting question so like if i understand correctly you're like asking if like older generations experience double consciousness in the same way as like now no no, no. Mm-hmm. my question is like is it double consciousness mm-hmm. if it's something that's temporary because mm-hmm. i believe that double consciousness mm-hmm. for like black americans in this wow. country for example has lasted for centuries mm-hmm. hundreds of years and so it has truly become double consciousness because everything from the way they dress mm-hmm. to the way they, the women do their hair, mm-hmm. including even us, right, mm-hmm. in Africa, to the way everything is through the lens of white eyes, mm-hmm. right? But in Kenya during 2007, mm-hmm. right, you might be worried about how is this person going to perceive me, mm-hmm. but then it's only going to last like, what, three right. years? So then is that really double consciousness? What do you think about that? That's like one of the most beautiful questions we've had like in this conversation so far. that's <laughs> yeah. like groundbreaking questions that i think we could even write like a couple of people that's actually such a beautiful question thank you for asking that and i mm. i don't even know how to de- like to uh, begin like navigating that okay. i mean in the voice's work the one of the things he says is that you know double consciousness arrived from the like longevity of being oppressed like that's literally what his book yeah. is about the souls of black folk if you read it past that one extract like that he's just going on to say how through ens- enslavement and through emancipation like all this suppression and repression of like black people they've had to develop this second um consciousness in order to see how like white people see them mm. so Oh my gosh, I'm trying to relate that to Kenya. And I mean, one way I could draw parallels is Kenya was colonized. So, you know, here in America, we had um, enslavement. Kenya and a lot of other countries had um, colonization. So there is both, there's like this aspect of white supremacy in both situations. Now, how it affected us in the long run in Kenya, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really struggling to see this. Because I'm trying to like the people were indoctrinated with like um european values and european like ideas mm. so essentially they became the person who they're trying to like they became the white person who like the voice describes that you like you're trying to see what they see but because like we've been so indoctrinated by like you know all these uh british or like white propaganda which was brought from the british colonizers like we become the oppressors because we have been indoctrinated by the oppressors so when like applying the voices thing of double consciousness trying to see yourself to the eyes of the white person we have become that white person because we 
have been taught to think like them and act like them through the acts of colonization. So even after they left, like we were left with this like neo-colonization, which was just run by the, like the Kenyan people, the Kenyan system. It's very evident there. So in terms of longevity, I think it's not exactly the same as African-Americans um, view on double consciousness. But I definitely think there's that, that longevity in that it has been removed from like the white people and it's now the same concepts in the same way of viewing the world are present in the Kenyan people or like the African people who have been colonized and they have become like the oppressors that the boys speaks about. Mm. So that was a very complex, long process like answer, but I hope it kind of touches on yeah, the question. Yeah, I understand. Um, what do you think? Like, what is your thoughts on that? So for me, so I cannot speak for Kenya society, mm-hmm. obviously, because I didn't live there. Mm-hmm. But I know that in Africa, there mm-hmm. is a double consciousness that mm-hmm. is even based on whiteness. Mm-hmm. We're not aware of it mm-hmm. because we don't have white people. Exactly. So especially like in Rwanda, we don't really have a white community. Mm-hmm. But there is a double consciousness because why are we straightening our hair? Mm-hmm. You don't need to. You don't need to. The whole country is black. Mm-hmm. The uh, whoever runs the biggest company you need to apply to is black. Mm-hmm. Their hair grows out of their their head the same way it does in yours. Exactly. But they will come to you and say, mm, maybe you shouldn't come in with an afro. You know. And that's what I'm saying. Like the whiteness has been removed from the white people, and it's within the people. Yes. We've become our the oppressors who used to oppress yes. us. And the funny thing is, like we don't even have them. Like I, from what I've seen. These people mm-hmm. don't have the memory of mm-hmm. why they are like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how you grow up knowing that, you know, you, so in, in my country, if mm-hmm. somebody's like, oh my God, you've gotten so much lighter. Mm-hmm. You're like, thank you. Exactly. If, if they're like, you've gotten so much darker. You're like, oh my it's God. It's an insult. Like, oh my God, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and now you're thinking about what you do mm-hmm. to fix it. But that person is not going to sit down and be like, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, she's closer to whiteness. Mm-hmm. The average African doesn't even know anything about white people right. and what they're doing. And the average African is not aware that this concept of being lighter mm-hmm. is coming from, like, colonialism. Mm-hmm. Because it's been so long and there's no white people there. So, you know, what is it? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you don't have to be aware that you're doing this mm-hmm. for you to do it. So that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to make a comment about the Rwandan society. Mm-hmm. I think the Rwandan society is so interesting because... So for me, I didn't grow up aware of, like, you know, the tribal... Um, I obviously I knew about the genocide in Rwanda, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that people still hated each other. Mm-hmm. And so this double consciousness to me never really... Like, it never... It was never a thing for mm-hmm. me. But funny enough, whether I was aware of it or not, mm-hmm. it was there. Because I sat down and thought about, like, what are the beauty standards in Rwanda, right? Who's beautiful? Mm-hmm. Who is ugly? Who is smart? Who is not? Who is brave? Who is not? You know? And even if I didn't grow up being told that, you know, like, a certain type of, like, you know, looking this way makes you more beautiful... Right? I still knew who was beautiful. I still knew the girls who I would call pretty. You know, I grew up with the concept, even though I wasn't aware of like where these things stemmed from. So I feel like it's so important. It's it's so interesting that you can grow up with double consciousness mm-hmm. without even knowing like the roots. where yeah where it stems from. Mm-hmm. Like a black kid who's like ten or mm-hmm. like seven is not aware why they think maybe their blue eyed exactly. classmate is prettier, but mm-hmm. they're like, oh, she's pretty. 
and she's definitely pretty mm-hmm. and they don't understand like why is the this the pretty one exactly and not the other one you know exactly and they still carry it and they will carry it and mm-hmm. even if it gets lost you know they will still carry that through years and years mm-hmm. and it's honestly insane and that actually reminds me of one of the other class readings we're doing by Toni Morrison I'm not sure if you're familiar it's called the bluest eye mm-hmm. and she literally talks about that like um black people wanting like like really holding the blue eye to such a, a high standard and you know the blue eye i don't know if the word euphen is the euphemism or whatever like symbolic that's the word mm-hmm. the blue eye is symbolic for like white beauty standards or eurocentric beauty standards and how white people how black people are like so indoctrinated to think that that is where they should be when they're not born with those features you know yeah. like sure there's black people who have blue eyes there's definitely islands where um there's black people with blonde hair but that is not like the that's not the, the, the that's dominant not the that's yeah. not our dominant traits and i don't know i like it's so odd for you to want something that's not a dominant trait of yours you know yeah. it's just very odd and just like to see how long the longevity that this oppression has gone on even without you know the, if like without the colonizers themselves like taking hold of the country yeah you know Mm -hmm. i was reading like because i love to read like these old texts Mm -hmm. from like back then Mm -hmm. and basically it was an account of how west african people viewed Mm -hmm. like uh white people when Mm -hmm. they interacted with them and they really 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 loved flat Mm -hmm. noses when babies were born they would try to flatten their noses but i am willing to bet that the average west african guy will find European features more interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not on a white person. Right. Let's say you just paint them black and mm-hmm. you give them, you know, like the body or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you straighten the hair. Mm-hmm. You make the nose not flat, mm-hmm. you know. I am willing to bet that the average West African uh, guy of today mm-hmm. would be more interested in that than in the flat noses that are prevalent in their societies. And mm. that were beloved just a few hundred years ago. So beloved that the kids were being born and your mothers would flatten your noses just so you could fit, fit the beauty standard of like what we deem to be African wow. features today mm-hmm. yet that's so interesting yet the flip is so insane mm-hmm. because like just a few hundred years ago this mm-hmm. was something they really loved and mm-hmm. then now it switched right oh my gosh that's really it, I didn't even know that was a thing to flatten your nose thing. I actually would love to give you the uh, the source for this yeah but, I'd be interested to like definitely yeah look into that i'm sorry you were saying something no no, no I, I i was agreeing mm-hmm. it's just quite interesting mm-hmm. and you know the human psyche is something mm-hmm. the human psyche is something because you will be aware of this like we're talking about this right. we're aware of this but will it stop you from every now and then feeling like oh my god i don't want to go out with my hair like exactly this. let me like strain my afro or like braid it down or anything yeah. like how will other people like see me or, like yeah. what's the view today like what's exactly what's the vibe like what's other people going to perceive me yeah. if i go in the office in this way or if exactly. i go to class in this way and yet you are very very aware of the issue mm-hmm. you know where it stems from you know how you should fix it mm-hmm. and yet you feel that way that's so interesting. Again, it reminds me of this other reading. I'm so sorry I'm bringing up so many class readings. <laughs> no, no. But like, it reminds me of Audrey Lord, like the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house, mm-hmm. which is basically where she just talks about like how the tools of the oppressors, like for example, um, Eurocentric beauty standards, they will never like this. They will, you can never use that tool to dismantle like Eurocentric beauty standards within the black community. Like you have to use something else. Mm-hmm. Like 
you just have to use different methods to attack an issue that has been ongoing in a community. Yeah. So that's just what that reminded me of. And also in the interest of time, I know we are like much over, but I, I hope you guys are enjoying our beautiful conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to see if you had any last thoughts, if there's anything that, you know, by reading the boys or even just generally reflecting on your life, if there's anything that you wanted to add that would be relevant to your experience and, you know, maybe just something to leave the audience with. I don't know, whatever last words you have, essentially. I guess, I guess what I could end with is like a question for both you and the audience mm-hmm. and myself. Do you think double consciousness can be killed? Do you mm-hmm. think it can end? Wow. Do you think it can be, you know, mm-hmm. snuffed out? That's, wow. With oppression still existent, mm-hmm. you know, like... Is that something you could ed- educate yourself out of? That's that's the question. That's really that's really the question. Actually, I'm not even sure we have enough time in any yeah. amount of podcasts to even begin think to address it. that. Think on it, but we're gonna think of that's our question of the day of the month of the year. We're gonna definitely <laughs> be analyzing that. But um, yeah, thank you so much uh, for your time. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Of course, it's been so wonderful to hear your um, ideas and just like all the contributions and your experiences, you know. Um, it's been so enlightening and such a, such, a, such a pleasure and a treat to have you here. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. I right, thank you. Bye. Bye.